thank you to KRCL's Board of Trustees, Community Advisory Board, and our Hi-Fi Club members for issuing challenge grants during Fall Radiothon and virtual hugs from all of us here at KRCL for investing in community radio. Lean on Utah seeks new or gently used metal crutches, canes, walkers, and non-motorized wheelchairs. If you don't need it anymore, dust it off and donate it November 13th. More details on the Connect page of krcl.org. Welcome to Radioactive, a show for grassroots activists, community builders, punk rock farmers, and DIY creatives. I'm Laura Jones, your host, and later tonight... You're going to meet the Utah Wild, Utah's first women's pro ultimate team. I've got dates on tryouts as well as their pie toss hat tournament coming up later this month. Utah Clean Energy and a doc from the U of U's School of Medicine will weigh in on COP26, the UN Climate Summit going on in Scotland. And I'm going to pass the mic in a minute to Better Boundaries. They've got something to say about the people's maps. First, a reminder that tomorrow is Veterans Day. Lots of events going on. Check tonight's show notes for a link. In fact, if you're around the University of Utah tomorrow, there will be three different cannon blasts from outside the Union Building. One at 9 a.m., one at 11 to signify the signing of the armistice ending World War I, and a 21 cannon salute around 11.45 a.m. as part of the programs organized by the Veterans Support Center in conjunction with the University Veterans Day Committee the Hinckley Institute of Politics, and student veterans at the U. I'm going to have a full Veterans Day show tomorrow, but I wanted to share a clip from my conversation with Dave Morris of Piper Down, Ice House, Funkin' Dive, Harp and Hound, and right near me, The Handlebar. He's a vet, former Army medic, and every year he offers meals to fellow veterans. It's something he does every year and has no idea how many meals he gives out. We really don't track the numbers. I... I mean, it'd be interesting to know, but um, it's more throwing the party. And that's um, that Veterans Day is usually a day when I get together with my other veteran friends and uh, and we do a little bar hopping and (laughs) it usually goes late into the night and we squeeze every minute out of that Veterans Day. (laughs) But the the focus is more about celebrating each other and um, it's a strange thing that no matter uh, whether they're left or right or conservative, liberal or, or whatever, when a group of veterans get together, there's this, this bizarre camaraderie that uh, it, it's just, um, I don't know how to describe it. It's just instantly you're connected with that another American in a way that you can't be connected with someone who hasn't served or taken that oath or um it it just means something something deeper like you've you've gone through the shared experience like we all got our butt kicked and uh in basic training at least we have that if we have nothing else if we didn't do the same job or go to the same permanent duty station or school or whatever like you have that basic you took an oath and you went to basic and uh, it kind of sets the stage from there. It's bizarre that just such a small amount of time, this, you, most people serve, you know, four years or six years, which at 50 years old, that's not a huge part of my life, but it's defined so much of who I am. And, it, and it's the same. I'm not the only vet like that. It's the same for everybody else. It's, 
once you have that, you have it for the rest of your life. Dave Morris of Piper Down, Ice House, Funk and Dive, Harp and Hound, and The Handlebar. Check tonight's show notes for a link to details about meals on Veterans Day for veterans at his establishments. And I'll bring you the full interview tomorrow on the show. Right now, I wanted to find out more about a rally going on as we speak. So obviously, we recorded this earlier, folks. I wanted to find out what's happening when it comes to the congressional maps drawn by the Utah Independent Redistricting Commission. Let's pass the microphone and find out more. Hi, I'm Katie Wright, Executive Director of Better Boundaries. Katie, uh, disappointing but not surprising, perhaps, that Utah lawmakers did not choose to accept the maps proffered by the Utah Independent Redistricting Commission as approved by Prop 4. Yeah, of course, I was optimistic. We had a really incredible independent commission. Um, They were and are notable Utahns with a ton of expertise. They really put politics aside and did their work in a very transparent way. And ultimately, they drew maps that um, met all the criteria, especially keeping cities and counties intact. So that coupled with the truly record-breaking engagement of Utahns. I mean, they filled out community of interest maps, um, commented on draft maps, attended meetings at just an, an amazing level and a level that we're not seeing nationally, even at states with more people. So because of those two things, I was optimistic that these fantastic maps that Um, had the voice of the people would be adopted. But um, this morning we saw that um, the congressional map, um, you know, was voted on the the redistricting committees. And then we um, assume we'll see final map votes in the next couple of days. And Utah Governor Spencer Cox has said he won't veto it because it's pointless. There's a veto proof majority among elected lawmakers uh, on these maps. Do you think that he should veto it just as a sign? Of course, absolutely. Um, You know, Proposition 4 was passed by over half a million people. Um, The Independent Commission, uh, the chair appointed by Governor Cox himself, executed the statute. The statute was voted on in a compromise by um, unanimously in the Senate and with only four dissents in the House. And so I think absolutely Governor Cox should veto it and make clear that in Utah, we expect good governance, we expect transparency, and we expect the voice of voters to come before the voice and interest and self-interest of politicians. As this conversation airs on KRCL's Radioactive, folks are gathering on the steps of the Capitol to express their dismay, shall we say, with what's happened to the people's maps. Yes, Salt Lake City Indivisible is organizing a rally this evening at six. And I know um, the redistricting coalition is considering other public action. And we're supportive of Utahns standing up, raising their voice and letting it be heard that they're um, not pleased with this outcome. Well, as Better Boundaries, the group leading the charge to get Independent Redistricting Commission up and running, um, what, what's the path forward? Yeah, so we are leaving all options on the table and really um, taking seriously our next steps. We launched a PAC on Monday. It's called the Better Boundaries and Accountability PAC. And the purpose of that is to forward electoral consequences. We don't think that politicians should be able to turn their back on their voters without there being electoral consequences. And so we plan to pursue that. And we're very appreciative 
of the folks who have already stepped up and donated to that. And we've seeded it with $50,000. And we hope and expect that will be matched by, you know, tomorrow night, maybe even tonight. Um, of course, a lawsuit is on, on the table as well. And then another option is something that we're just calling right now repeal and replace, where we would do another ballot initiative that repeals um, the maps adopted and replaces them with the independent commission maps. Um, we think ultimately those maps reflect, you know, communities and people and voters and that they should be the law here in Utah. You said PAC. I just want to explain that for folks who are wondering what that acronym is. It's a political action committee. You then can raise money and donate it how you wish as a PAC. There are, of course, rules in place on how that must happen. Does this perhaps uh, signal a vote the bums out campaign? Yeah, and it will be bipartisan. We are a bipartisan organization, and we know that both Republicans and Democrats close doors, draw maps that insulate them from accountability, and we don't think that's right. And we know Utahns don't think that right. And again, we're grateful for the people who have stepped up and chipped in $25, and and, um, uh, and we plan to fund candidates that um, believe that the will of the people comes first. Lawmakers, in the coverage I've read in the Salt Lake Tribune, the Deseret News, et cetera, they feel that they are representing a one Utah, that these maps, congressional maps in particular, although they cut up the county, Salt Lake County, the most populous county, into four different districts, not to mention Mill Creek City, I think I read, is cut up into four different congressional voting districts. They feel that they've done the job they were elected to do as the elected representatives of the people in considering all of Utah. What's your response to that, Katie? You know, the challenge is when districts are drawn to insulate and make it easy for lawmakers to win elections, then they don't have accountability or electoral accountability. So it's a vicious circle. And that's why redistricting is so fundamental and so critical to every Utahan. Um, and, you know, always, always, and really united across Utah was this idea that we shouldn't split cities and counties. It just doesn't make sense. It's not common sense. It makes it more difficult to govern. And all of the maps do that at a much higher level than the independent commission maps. It's simply unnecessary. It seems that this congressional map is drawn by Utah lawmakers reflects the view from the seat of the person holding the office, not from the voter in the district. Yeah, so that map is really unfortunate. It, um, when you know, measured really robustly by um, redistricting experts, we see that it is a very, very strict partisan gerrymandered map to get the electoral outcome that that basically um, guarantees. It's a point one um, half a percent point chance when you draw a hundred thousand maps. So it really does not reflect partisan neutrality. It doesn't affect the um, the electoral here in in Utah, and so um, we really were not supportive of that map. And it's pretty egregious. Katie Wright, where's the website folks can catch up with Better Boundaries and find out what's coming next? Betterboundaries.org. And I just want to thank Utahns who have shown up throughout this process. It's been really amazing, and I'm proud to be a Utah. And that's Katie Wright of Better Boundaries. Check tonight's show notes for a link. Also, a link to a Trib article. The sports writer so mad about this, he punched a pillow. And it's a great analysis of why it's upsetting to him. It's worth the read, folks. Not to mention, you'll be supporting a nonprofit when you click on that story. Still to come on Radioactive, COP26, and Meet the Utah Wild. 
Did you know that a portion of your Amazon purchases could benefit KRCL? Support local nonprofits, including KRCL, through Amazon Smile by visiting smile.amazon.com and selecting your preferred organization. Find details under the support tab at krcl.org. Thanks. You're listening to Radioactive right here on KRCL 90.9. I'm Laura Jones. Still to come, the Utah Wild, Utah's first women's pro ultimate team. Tryouts are coming in January. I'll have all the details for you in a bit. But first, COP26 is going on in Scotland this week. So I thought I'd pass the microphone to folks following the UN Climate Summit here in Utah and working on environmental and public health issues close to home. Well, thank you, Laura. I'm Sarah Wright, and I'm the executive director and founder of Utah Clean Energy. And I've been working on climate in Utah for 20 years. So I'm excited about what's happening. My name is uh, Dr. Jeff Robison. I'm a pediatrician and a pediatric emergency medicine physician, but I'm also the director of the Global Rural and Underserved Child Health Program at the University of Utah, where we try to draw out the importance of a changing climate for both children's health now and in the future. Let's dig into what you've been watching from afar, although our own representative John Curtis, congressman, has been over there trying to bring conservative voices into this conversation. So far, what's your read on the conference to date, Sarah? Well, that's that's hard to say. We don't know exactly what's going to come out of it. Um, there have been some initial agreements on trying to reduce methane emissions, protecting forests. We need to do a lot. The thing is that this is the follow-up from the Paris Accord, the Paris Agreement, and that was the first time all the global leaders agreed to keep trying to keep emissions below two. So this is our chance for the leaders to come together and have commitments significant enough to do that. And of course, the U.S. was in, then it was out, now it's back in, and it's a bit of a yo-yo to see what happens next. But... According to some some notes that you all sent me, 23 countries have pledged to phase out use of coal-fired power, but the U.S. did not agree to stop coal development at home. We just promised to stop sending money overseas for funding of oil, gas, and coal. So we're half in, half out. We want it both ways, it sounds like, Sarah. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, I guess it's tricky. The science is clear. We need to reduce our carbon emissions, and we need to do it quickly. But politics seems to be getting in the way, and it often seems like we are forgetting about our kids and our grandkids in these near-term decisions. You said kids, so I've got to go to the doc and talk about uh, climate change and its impact on our health and on kids in particular. You've got a few points you'd like to make here. Let's, let's talk about what it means for kids in particular when Utah keeps reaching 100-plus degree days earlier every year. Yeah, I mean, we live in the fifth fastest warming state in the country. Uh, Utah is getting hotter faster on average than other places and is already the third driest state in the United States behind Arizona and Nevada. Those hot days have real consequences for kids as we get more and more days that are over 100 degrees and those days happening earlier in the year and happening later into the fall. Some days are so hot that it's hard for kids to go outside and play. We know that uh, childhood obesity and just kids being fit and their ability to go outside is important for their physical health and their mental development. But also with warming temperature, it pushes ozone down to the uh, surface level. 
Ozone in the atmosphere is good. Uh, ozone at surface level is a well-known trigger for asthma exacerbations. And so we see that as well. But I think one thing that is really, uh, is really uh, present in people's minds right now is what our air looked like during this summer. The particulates from wildfires, even if they weren't happening in Utah, are becoming more and more common. And the root cause of those wildfires is drought. And the root cause of drought is the warming climate and the changing climate related um, to our uncontrolled carbon emissions and 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 how it's warming warming the warming the the the, the planet. Well, Doc, I want to stick with you here for a second and talk about this impact of pollution and wildfire pollution on all of our lungs, but especially kids, because Utah is known as the crossroads of the West. In no short order because of, we got freeways, major interstates going through. We got I-80, we got I-15. And within half a mile of a major road like that, there is an asthma corridor that's been documented and affects kids' health. And then you layer on top of it um, these wildfire fires. What did you see in terms of increased patients and including we're in a pandemic? Yeah. Well, as healthcare providers, we see even now the consequences of changing climate for kids here in Utah with particulate field air from worsening wildfires, uh, heat waves causing an ever increasing number of days that are simply too hot for kids to play, like I said. And over the course of the, uh, over, over the world, climate change is recognized by public health experts and physicians as the single biggest threat to climate, uh, to, to, to children's health. But I think in Utah, we also have some unique opportunities to overcome these challenges. Um, the opportunity we have to transition away from fossil fuels towards clean energy will not only protect our children's health over the course of generations, but could boost our economy now and would actually clean up our air now. How many of us have had those winter days where we walk out and we're just like, I cannot believe the air is this dirty. It's almost embarrassing if it wasn't scary. It's soupy, chunky soupy. And Doc, I want to talk about the global aspect of what you do in your role as Director of Global, Rural, and Underserved Child Health Program at the U of U School of Medicine, because we were just talking about the impacts here locally, but it's even more so for folks and kids who live in poverty around the world, because this also contributes to food insecurity. There's a domino effect going on. Yeah, I mean, I am not a... a um... I'm not a physicist uh, or a climate scientist. I'm a physician, and more specifically, a physician who takes care of children and uh, with a specialty in global child health. And as significant as the impacts are for Utah, uh, uh, the impacts of climate change are for Utah children, the impacts of climate change on children who live in poverty across the globe is even more dire. Food insecurity, you mentioned, that results from drought increasing numbers of extreme weather events, and more hours and days of dangerous heat is disproportionately impacting children living in poverty. And all of these things combined will lead to displacement of families away from their homes. And under the projections that we have now, we are, we are set to see migration and displacement of families like nothing we have ever seen because of drought increasing weather events, hot days, places on the planet that just will be too hot. And 
So, you know, it is a concern for me. I have kids. I have kids who live here. I'm concerned about my own kids. But I also know that whatever consequences we face here, those consequences are even more dire for those children who live in poverty across the globe. Talking about the UN Climate Change Conference going on in Scotland as we speak with Dr. Jeff Robison of the University of Utah School of Medicine. And also Sarah Wright is with us, Executive Director of Utah Clean Energy. And just remind folks what your nonprofit does, Sarah. So for the past 20 years, we have been working to advance climate solutions. And so we do a lot of policy and regulatory work to you know, drive renewable energy um, and energy efficiency, electric vehicles, storage, all the solutions. To solve climate change, we need to do a couple of things. Let's hear it. <laughs> well, it's pretty easy. We need to stop emitting carbon. But then we also need to have healthy landscapes, change our diet and all of those things. But what Utah Clean Energy, we work on the part that is trying to stop carbon emissions from the energy we use to heat our homes, to power our businesses, and to move around the world. You know, I've seen this argument go a couple different ways over my adult life from, you know, just a certain set of scientists involved to now youth leading the way. But what really seems to get a hold of our local lawmakers is the bottom line. And modeling shows that Utah will have snow-free springs in less than 50 years, and that hits us in our tourist economy when it comes to the greatest snow on earth, Sarah. So how are we going to move the needle with our lawmakers who are by and large conservative um, and slow to move on these issues? No, I think, well, one, it's not just our ski industry. It's the water that we use to drink. And so if we don't have spring, we've lost our reservoirs because the snow melts and it fills our reservoirs. So it's not just that. But I think you know, I keep asking myself, I've been doing this a long time. I think we all share some values. And if we can start to move beyond the politics and look at what we're leaving our kids, look at, um, you know, everyone cares about their families, they care about their future, and they care about their legacy. So I think that's a big part of it. But the other thing we need to consider is they, when we think that these solutions are too expensive, the cost of doing nothing is much more expensive. In the last decade, we spent almost a trillion dollars on climate, um, extreme weather um, related disasters fueled by climate. So when we think about a $2 trillion package moving through um, Washington right now in the Build Back Better package, that's nothing compared to what we'll be spending because those were getting more and more costly extreme weather events every year. So I'm not sure I answered your question about how to solve it and how to bring them along, but we need to bring them along. So I am open to all questions. Really, truly making it a nonpartisan effort. And, and I think that means working across the political spectrum with grassroots activists when it comes to the next legislative session. I think oftentimes it appears that Utah's supermajority on the right um, can conveniently think it's just those lefty liberals that want to fix the climate, that want to deal with uh, rising sea levels, with our forests on fire, et cetera. And that's that's not the case. So what is it that you and Dr. Robison you're doing to get ready for the next legislative session and, and lobby for the kind of change that Utah can lead on this issue? Well, one, one, thing, one thing that I would say is I've never once had a parent come into the emergency room with a child who's suffering from an asthma exacerbation and asked me who I voted for. 
or what party I affiliate with. These are issues, as Sarah said, that cut across the political spectrum. And I think there is an increasing recognition across the political spectrum that this doesn't, it doesn't matter where you fall on other issues that are solved by sort of collective political will. This is something that we all have a stake in. And you mentioned at the top of this that uh, Representative Curtis is in Scotland. I think this is, this is an example of how Utah potentially could show a model of a very conservative state that despite being conservative can lead out on common sense climate solutions that not only benefit the health of the kids, clean the air immediately, provide better transportation and more equitable transportation across uh, socioeconomic uh, um, lines in the, in the valley, but also prove to be an economic boom for our valley. Utah has a history of leading and thinking outside the box. This is a time where you can, you can kind of sense this getting the reports out of COP26. People are almost like looking around the room, seeing who's going to step up and be the leader on this. And we, I think, in Utah have a history of thinking outside the box and being able to do that. I would challenge our legislatures to take that on as a point of pride. Uh, this is something that will prove to be beneficial for us immediately and over the course of generations. Well, speaking of generations, the Climate Change Conference in Scotland is a once-in-a-generation opportunity to shape how the world responds to climate change. And the kids, though, Sarah, blah, 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 as Greta Thunberg says, I'm tired of hearing the adults just show up, have a conference, go home, and not really do anything. So give us some hope here about how to get engaged, get involved, and uh, find a group to work with on these issues. Yeah, I mean, we'd love to have people get involved with Utah Clean Energy's work, but then also all of the youth movement. I mean, it, they're the ones that are going to bear the brunt of our inaction. So, you know, support their voices. And sometimes they get pushback because they don't know the answer and, you know, everything that we need to do. Um, but they're hopefully going to be able to help push this along. And then it's groups like Utah Clean Energy that can help move the policy solutions forward. And you need, you know, we need to listen to them. We cannot not act. It's not an option. There is a coalition in Utah working on this, the Utah Climate and Clean Air Compact. Yes, that is a, that's a, an effort that Utah Clean Energy put together because we wanted our policymakers to see that it is a bipartisan um, issue and that there are many leaders um, across industry, across community groups um, that want to see action. And then that makes me um, remember, and I don't know how I didn't remember them, but also the group, the Citizens Climate Lobby is doing some really important work advancing a fee and dividend proposal um, where you actually charge a, a, a cost of the carbon emissions, but then that's returned to the citizens. So that's another important group working in Utah and actually across the nation. We'll put some links in the show notes tonight, but let's close, Sarah, with maybe two or three things that folks can actually do. I think that's another way we can collectively ride off this issue is like, oh, there's nothing I can do and anything I could do is so minimal. But hey, you got to start somewhere, right, Sarah? You definitely have to start somewhere. And I will say, even though 70% of the population is concerned about climate change, 
only about a third ever even talk about it. So talk about it with your friends, with your neighbors, with your family, and most importantly, with your policymakers. Let them know that this is something you care about. But then also what the science shows us is that we need to decrease our emissions 15% per year. So do your carbon footprint, look at reducing your travel 15%, look at reducing your electricity use 15%, look at reducing your natural gas use and take steps on your own life. And, and that's not going to be enough, but it helps, um, you know, it helps reduce our emissions and everything that we reduce is um, beneficial. But talk to your policymakers, let them know how much you care. Sarah Wright from Utah Clean Energy and Dr. Jeff Robinson from the University of Utah School of Medicine. Thank you so much for giving us some time here on Radioactive. My pleasure. Thanks for having us. Check tonight's show notes for links, folks. I thought the new Sting song might be appropriate here. It's Rushing Water on KRCL 90.9. Tame Impala with Borderline on KRCL 90.9. And ahead of that, the new one from Sting, Rushing Water. Look for it on his new album, The Bridge, which should drop on November 19th. I'm Laura Jones, and this is Radioactive, a show for grassroots activists, community builders, punk rock farmers, and DIY creatives. And in this last conversation this evening, the Utah Wild, Utah's first women's pro ultimate team. To find out more, let's pass that microphone. My name is Genesee, and I am one of the players for the Utah Wild. And my name is Erica, and I am one of the co-founders of the Utah Wild. Hi, I'm Tanya Wright. I'm the head coach of the Utah Wild. And what's your experience with Ultimate Frisbee? What brings you to the Utah Wild? Uh, well, I started playing, I think it's a, it's a very similar story to most people in college um, at the University of Illinois. Um, and from there, I got really into the club scene. So I played at the club level in North Carolina um, and then in Colorado. And then I moved here for my job as a physical therapist. And so I've kind of been involved in playing um, and coaching ever since, as I, uh, I also coach the University of Utah women's team, Spiral Jetty. Spiral Jetty. These are some great names, I'm telling you right now. Erica Bindas, why don't you start and, and just explain what Utah Wild is and maybe a bit of the origin story for our listeners. Yeah, so the Utah Wild was created um, by six women who are ultimate Frisbee players in, in Utah primarily. And we were looking for um, ways to elevate and provide some visibility to elite women playing ultimate frisbee. Ultimate frisbee is not the most high-profile sport, but it's growing rapidly across the country. It's also a really unique sport that provides some cool opportunities for equity and collaboration. And so, with that kind of model in mind, we thought, let's make this professional ultimate frisbee team that can also do some outreach beyond just this professional team. We are working with the community to try and build up opportunities for women and girls, primarily in sports, um, or people who identify and would like to play with women and girls in sports. So let's talk about the sport itself, Ultimate Frisbee for the uninitiated. What is this game? It's kind of a mix between maybe a soccer and a football. So it's a team sport. There are seven people on each team on a field at a time, and you have to throw and catch a Frisbee until you catch it in the end zone. And while you have the Frisbee in your hand, you cannot move. So you can kind of pivot like in basketball. 
Um, but it's a team sport because you can't score on your own. You can't throw it and then go catch your own thing. You've got to work with your team there. It's also unique because it's self-officiated. So all of the players are required to know all of the rules and make calls on the spot. So if you think you were fouled, you will make a call. You discuss that with your opponent. You come to a conclusion and then you play on. Wow, that seems really unique in terms of not just how the sport is played, but conflict resolution with your opponent. Yeah, it's a really cool opportunity to kind of humanize your opponents and and make sure that you know you're you're working together here to have the best experience. So, Erica, how long have you been playing, and what sports led up to you getting into ultimate frisbee? I've been playing since 2013, so I guess eight or nine years now. Uh, previously, I played basketball primarily uh, in high school, and and before that, I picked up ultimate frisbee like many people do, which is in college, and had a great time. I went to school out in Cleveland, Ohio, and fell in love from there on. And joining us from our home in Bozeman, we have one of the Utah Wild players, Genesee Maya. Genesee, how are you? I'm doing great. Now, you started out on a team of mostly men on base as an Air Force flight mechanic. Yes, that's right. Yeah, I started down in Florida and just played pickup with a bunch of folks and went to a hat tournament. And a group of guys that played down there were like, we want to try to start a mixed team. Will you come and play with us? As uh, as your uh, your as Erica was saying, um, it's a conflict resolution sport too. So how was that in mixed? Yeah, it has been really great. I love like spirit of the game and the community that Ultimate brings, and so I've always found that to be a really awesome part of it. So I think it's really awesome that we're all in there and working out problems together. Well, Erica and Tanya, in building up the team here in Utah, you've got some some big goals, and especially working with the community. I love this aspect of the sport as conflict resolution, that every player has to know the rules. If you feel you've been fouled, you call it, you talk it over, and then you move the game forward. It's, uh, I really think, an amazing model that can translate off the field, and it sounds like you have big goals off the field as well. Erica, you talked a bit about them, but Coach, what do you want to see happen? You coach the college team. Now you're the coach for this uh, women's pro team. What are you hoping the Ultimate Frisbee can do in the community? I mean, certainly on the, at the college level, I think it does a lot of just empowering women to take leadership positions, be more vocal. Um, and as you said, I think it definitely introduces a, like a conflict that you have to resolve like via a discussion. Like there's... Like once a call is made on the field, there's no way to get beyond it unless you talk it out because there is no referee to decide it. Um, at the pro level, I think really the biggest thing I'm most excited for is just improving the visibility of like that of just that women can play a variety of sports and that there are a lot of opportunities beside beyond what's considered traditional out there. Because at the college level, we still get a lot of players that have like have never had an opportunity or never felt like they had a good opportunity to, like, to play competitive sport. So I think there's definitely still room to improve that. So I think that's what I'm most excited about. Yeah. Erica, there's, this is a league. There's a Western League. Can you tell us a bit about that and how it's going to work, how the Utah Wild will participate? Yeah, the Western Ultimate League was formed uh, late 2019. And it currently consists of six teams. So we have teams in Seattle, San Francisco, Los Angeles, San Diego, Arizona, and then us in Utah. 
And so we are primarily located out in kind of the Western half of the U.S. Uh, we have kind of a sister league that the Premier Ultimate League focuses out on more of the Midwest and East Coast. Uh, and this league, so we're having our, you're supposed to have our inaugural season in March of 2020. Naturally, <laughs> that was canceled. Yeah. Um, yeah, a bummer. <laughs> but provided some time to kind of reset, to work on these internal policies, to make sure that we're, um, have a really solid foundation moving forward, both the league and individual team levels. And so this December, we have our kind of first league competition, which is called the Winter Cup. Um, that's something that Genesee is gonna be playing in. And so that will be taking place down in San Diego as a series of exhibition style games over the course of a weekend. And then this coming spring, so in the March through May timeline, we'll be having our first regular season. And so we'll be hosting several home games here in Salt Lake City, as well as traveling across the West Coast to away games. Well, it's time to recruit some folks through our conversation. In fact, uh, save the dates, January 8th and 9th are coming up and folks can try out Erica. Yes, if you'd like to be a part of that, part of the team, um, those, those try out dates are January 8th and 9th. Um, open to all levels. So even if you're saying, maybe I won't make the team, but I want to come out and play some exciting ultimate Frisbee with a lot of really amazing athletes, then that event can be for you. And we have lots of ways to get involved beyond the on-field play if you're interested in that as well. Who is eligible to try out for the Utah Wild? You have to be 18 years or older um, and you need to identify as a woman matching player, as we say in ultimate. Um, So either a woman This could be a non-binary person who prefers to play with women. Um, This is regardless of your sex assigned at birth or any form of gender expression. Do you have to have played before? Uh, In order to make the professional team, you will probably have to have played before um, or have some familiarity with the, with the sport and, and whatnot. Throwing a Frisbee is not the most natural skill for a lot of people. (laughs) Um, so I, I won't promise that you could make the team without having played, but sometimes we get really natural athletes who come and pick it up really fast. And so maybe that's you too. Who knows? Well, and you've been doing something called Goldtimate in Salt Lake City. Yes, it's a fun, it's kind of like the half-court basketball of Ultimate Frisbee. And so you're playing in a smaller field. There's this large hoop made out of like a big tent pole that you have to throw the disc through before catching it in a smaller end zone. And so you're playing with, you know, 4v4 instead of 7v7 and we've created a women's league that we've been playing with um for the past several weeks and for a couple more here just to provide some opportunities to play and expand this game so registration for that is already closed but people could come and watch and check it out yeah you'd be welcome to come and watch if you'd like to come and pick up we still have the opportunity to come and and just pick up for a week so you can show up and and join a team try it out Um, we're looking to get people involved as much as possible. And that's taking place at Sunnyside Park in Salt Lake City on Tuesdays. We'll put a link in the show notes, folks. You're also recruiting folks to be board members. You have paid positions and you've got volunteers to help build out this first ever Utah Wild, first women's pro ultimate team, Erica. Yes, uh, looking for all kinds of ages and experiences. Um, In terms of skill uh, level, you don't need to have um, a, a deep background in fundraising or ultimate frisbee even in order to help with this team we've got a variety of positions open there are a handful of us that didn't have a lot of business experience before a couple years ago and have been rapidly learning so it's a really exciting environment to join onto and uh, you know many hands make light work so we want this to be a community supported team as much as possible and so it's important to get that support from the community 
Well, Genesee, you're currently located in Bozeman, Montana, so uh, getting together with this team might be a little difficult. What's your pitch for to women and women matching players that are considering getting involved? Yeah, I feel like you, it's really amazing that we are all in, a lot of us are in different towns. So there's some of us in Bozeman and Boise and then even other towns in Montana. And so it's really cool to be able to be able to play at this level and not be in that town. And so I really encourage anybody to come to these tryouts. It was a really awesome experience for me, or I guess two years ago now. And in general, going to those tryouts and playing with some really amazing players, even if you're not quite sure if you're going to make the team or want to play, it's a great learning opportunity and a great way to connect to community. Well, Coach Tanya writes for folks listening to this thinking, all right, I think I could do this. I want to give it a shot. Can you give us some conditioning tips that might be different uh, and apply to Ultimate Frisbee, Coach Tanya? Well, I guess I would say uh, the biggest thing that's different is if you want to do this, uh, is you need to practice throwing the frisbee, the most (laughs) unique part of our sport, I would say. Um, And especially since we're going to be traveling so much, we'll we'll definitely be exposed to way more weather conditions than we get here in Utah, which are a little more straightforward than the rest of the West Coast. So throwing ability will be really, really important. Um, But then frisbee... uh, because you can change your whole line in between sports, it's kind of way more like a burst interval sport. So typically we train over a lot of various intervals from anywhere from 40 yards to 120 yards to 400s and 800s. That way we're kind of, uh, you're ready to have that like quick burst of speed. But if the point lasts 10 minutes, you're out there for 10 minutes. So you have to be ready to run that long. Some good tips to get ready for Ultimate Frisbee with the Utah Wild. Erica, what's the website where folks can learn more and also see where they can uh, catch one of these games and the details on tryouts in January? Yeah, our website is utahwildultimate.org. All those words are spelled as you would expect them to be spelled. Anybody got a song you want to add to this conversation for the Utah Wild? How about you, Genesee? I've really been loving Vibe Check by Grizz. For sure, one of my workout songs and playing songs go utah wild vibe check from grizz song requested by a member of the utah wild utah's first women's pro ultimate team they've got tryouts coming in january they've got some league play going on this month check the show notes for that as well as their pie toss hat tournament november 20th 9 a.m to 2 p.m at the salt lake county equestrian fields It's open to all families, friends, and spectators encouraged. All of that in tonight's show notes, too. My thanks to all of my guests this evening on Radioactive, helping us get y'all plugged into your community of grassroots activists, community builders, punk rock farmers, DIY creatives, and the ultimate Frisbee players of the Utah Wild. Coming up at 8 o'clock, it's Emily's Mixtape. At 10.30, Maximum Distortion with Forgash and Cody D. Get your rude awakening with Liz at 3 a.m. And John Florence starting off your brand new day at 6. Our entire program in the last two weeks of any show, available on demand on our website, krcl.org, which is only possible due to you, the listener, and your generosity. Thank you again for all your support during Radiothon. I'm Laura Jones, and Democracy Now! is coming up at 7, but I got time for one more song. Let's see. How about another one off The Golden Casket, the new album from Modest Mouse? The sun hasn't left. I know it kind of feels like it, but let's pretend. On KRCL. KRCL.